0: If you would turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and Lord willing, we'll f- or finish up chapter 3 tonight. Last time we were together, we were talking about building on the foundation. Paul was warning the Corinthians. Um, he said, I've come to you and I've laid the foundation, and the only foundation that anyone can lay, which is Jesus Christ. He said, but take heed how you build on it. You know, what happens after we're saved? What, what happens to our lives after we're saved? They, they were saved, they knew the truth, but they weren't building on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, as Paul said. They were building with wood, hay, and stubble. So he was warning them through all this. Take heed how you build. And we were talking about, you know, how do we build on that foundation? How do we become the people that God desires us to be? and thus doing the things that God desires us to do. You know, how do we build on that foundation? And we were talking about how it's not what we do, but what we become that is the starting point for building on that foundation. And last time we went through the Beatitudes, uh, we spoke of our setting our minds on eternal things and not temporary things is building on the foundation. Realizing our need, living a life of faith, and receiving all that God has for us. And knowing the truth and rejoicing in the Lord. Building on that foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. And in verse 16 in Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy which temple you are. And he's warning the people in Corinth. He, he's addressing their carnality, all the things that they were bringing into the church, all the strife and, and the sexual immorality that they were bringing in, and he's warning them. Uh, some of these things uh, may seem harsh, but Paul was really laying it down for these people. that They could know where they were at and that they had needed to repent. Uh, He talks about judgment for our works, going through the fire, suffering, loss. God will destroy him. You know, these things seem harsh sometimes, but they're necessary. We need to take these things to heart, especially in the days that we're living in. Because it's very easy for us to become carnal, to go to sleep, to be influenced by the culture around us. We need to take these things to heart, as well as the Corinthians to realize the days that we're living in just how close we are for years you know i've been a christian for many years and i remember you know way back people saying you know that we're close we're living in the last days and we're getting closer and closer to the lord's return and it was the truth then and it's the truth now we our salvation is nearer than we first believed paul would say and no one knows the day or hour, which is true, but the Bible says you are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. We can see the days that we're living in. Uh, we can see the lie getting bigger and bigger and spreading over the earth. And it, it just seems like God is taking his hand off things and, let, and giving people what they want. And that's judgment. Um. But we also take these things in context. Paul was speaking to a church that had rot inside, and they weren't repentant. Uh, They were definitely building on the foundation. They were saved, but they were building on the foundation with wood, hay, and stubble. They were carnal. Paul says you're acting like mere men. You're not acting like spiritual people. You're, You're just acting like mere men, carnal people. So Paul had to pull the hammer down on them and he just laid it out for him. Uh, the Holy Spirit warning them and us, take heed how you build on the foundation. And we as individuals are the temple of God. Paul's warning them, if anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy them. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6.19 it says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? So, as individuals, our bodies, we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. What an amazing thing that when a person comes to Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in them. And also the church, which is made up of individuals in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, is considered a temple. In 2 Corinthians, it says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. In Ephesians it says, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. The Corinthians had to be warned in no uncertain terms about how they were building on that foundation, what they were doing in the temple and to the temple uh, because of the culture that they were living in, which was idolatrous, and they were brought up in this culture. The Corinthians were bringing into the church unrepentant carnality, strife, and sexual immorality. You know, we, when we first started this, we were talking about how in Corinth, sexual immorality was not just accepted, and it wasn't just celebrated, it was their actual religion And throughout the Roman and Greek empire, whenever they had a play, if anybody was a drunkard in the play, he was always referred to as a Corinthian. And if any woman was a prostitute in the play, she was always referred to as a Corinthian. So this place had a bad reputation. Um, What they were bringing into the church, and Paul was just saying to them, God will not allow his church to be destroyed not by inside forces or outside forces. You think of Ananias and Sapphira. People were selling their property and bringing it and putting it at the feet of the apostles and Peter, and it was being distributed to the poor to help out the poor. And Ananias and Sapphira, they had a piece of property and they sold it, and they said, okay, we sold it for $100. Let's say that we sold it for $50 and we'll keep the other 50 And when we say that we sold it for 50 and we're giving the whole thing, everybody will look at us and say, man, they are really spiritual. They're giving the whole thing. But Peter called them on their hypocrisy, and God dropped both of them. Uh, You look at Achan in the Old Testament. They defeat Jericho, and God warned them, don't touch the accursed things, the things that were used in idolatry. Uh, This whole place was just cursed. And he said, don't take any of this stuff. Achan sees some of the stuff, finds it, and goes and hides it. And then Israel goes out to fight Ai, and they get defeated. And Joshua prays, and God says, there's sin in the camp. And Achan is destroyed. Uh, As you get on in 1 Corinthians, there, there was a man who was having an affair with his father's wife. And Paul said, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. God protects his church. And God will judge his people. He will defend his purpose for the church. And in verse 1 Corinthians 3.18, verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So he's talking about deceiving and people who seem to be wise in this age. And if you want to become wise, you have to become a fool. Our greatest enemies, Satan's greatest weapons, are deception. That's really the only weapon that he has, is to deceive. Our biggest enemies are deception and our flesh that gravitates to it. Uh, And today in this world, it, it just seems like there's more deception being manifested than truth. You know, the lie is growing. But the lie we know from reading the Bible is going to die, and the truth is going to live. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The, the truth lives. And in these days, we take comfort from the word of God, just being in the word of God. It's like that anchor for the soul, the Bible says. You know The world around us may be going crazy, but we've got that book that contains the words of God, and we read it, and we take comfort in that, and we're safe. For the Christian, deception comes in many ways, in the forms of heresies, false doctrines. There's a ton of stuff going around. You remember the Toronto Blessing thing that was going around? People laughing in the spirit and making the animal noises and everything, and people flocked to it because they just wanted to have that experience, Uh, false doctrine, health and wealth, you know, send me your money, send in that seed thing and send in $500 and the Lord will multiply it, you know, he'll give you back $5,000 and uh, health and wealth. But perhaps the most dangerous deception of them all is self-deception, how we can deceive ourselves. Uh, in Jesus' letter to the people, the church at Laodicea, he says, You say you have need of nothing and don't know that you are poor, blind, miserable, and naked. You know, they had deceived themselves. They had a problem. They were poor, blind, miserable, and naked. But the bigger problem was they didn't even know it. They, they had deceived themselves. And he said, I urge you to buy eye salve that you can see, that you can see where you're at. Jeremiah, in chapter 17, said something very powerful. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know even their own heart? Can I ever really know my own heart? You know, I I think I'm like right here with Jesus. Am I really? Or am I way back here? Can I know my own heart? And the answer is no, I can't. The, the, Jeremiah said my heart is desperately wicked and, I, and just so able to deceive myself I can't know my own heart and we think well man that's a drag because how can we know where we're at you know am I close to the Lord am I far away you know, where's the comfort in that that I can't even know my own heart the comfort comes from what John said God is greater than our hearts and knows all things that's our comfort I don't know my own heart. God does. He's greater than my heart, and he knows all things. Galatians, Paul said, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. There is only one cure for self-deception, and that's having our minds and our hearts constantly filled and refilled with the truth just being in the word of God. If we are taking that time to read God's word and meditate on it, prayerfully meditate on it, we won't be deceived. It's like an anchor. You know. We can drift off, but man, if we're in the word, we're just, it's just, the Lord just snaps us right back. If we're not doing that, if we're not being in the word, there's a good chance that we could be deceived. And there's a better chance that we will deceive ourselves. If we don't feel that we have a need to be in the word, we've already been deceived. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. We know the truth. We know who Jesus is. We know what he has done. We have received salvation through faith. That foundation has been laid in every person's life here, I believe. Everybody here, I believe, knowing you is, is a Christian and that foundation is immovable. You can't lose your salvation. And now we build on it. Uh, we grow in the knowledge of God. We get to know him personally and intimately. There are three words used in the Bible, walk in truth. You know, It speaks of believing in the truth, but just every day, our actions every day, our everyday lives, just walking through our lives, we're urged to walk in truth. Joshua 24, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth. In Psalms it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. First John says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In 3 John, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, walking in the truth. It speaks of the absolute truth of the word of God and our sincere adherence to it. We believe, we sincerely believe, adhere to the Word of God. It doesn't mean sinless. It means walking in truth. It means, walking in truth means believing and practicing the verse that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It means knowing the Word of God. Walking in truth means by the Spirit obeying, because it is God who works in us to will and to do of his will, obeying the voice of God. Walking in truth means walking in unbroken fellowship with Him. It means living in the love of God, walking in truth. It means a life of faith, depending on God, dependence on God. That's walking in truth. Uh, Dependence on anyone or anything else is idolatry. Walking in faith. It means loving mercy, it means the cry, thy will be done, is a joyful prayer of peace by people who, said by people who are walking in the truth. 1 Corinthians 5.8 says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, being sincere, walking in the truth, knowing the word of God, and s- sincerely desiring that that word abides in us, that that word lives in us. That is building with gold and silver and precious stones on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Truth and deception. There's one thing that we, in Sunday school, we drill it into the kids' heads because I think it's very necessary. Right starting at a young age, we drill it into them. What is Satan's biggest lie? And if you ask any six- or seven-year-old in the church here, they'll tell you. Satan's biggest lie is the Bible is not true. And kids need to know that, that that lie is there. The Bible isn't true. Uh, And all the ways that they're going to be hearing that lie for the rest of their lives, and the people they're going to be hearing it from are not monsters. They're going to be people who are nice, who are very smart, people who they may even look up to. But they're going to be hearing that lie for the rest of their life, and that lie is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger, which is why we need to be praying for our children. Any thought, word, position, worldview, philosophy, religion, point of view, that is contrary to what the Bible teaches is wrong. The Bible is absolute truth, which is something that many people don't believe today that there is, they don't even believe there is such a thing as absolute truth. Everything is relative. But those who study the scriptures, we know. If we've been studying the scriptures, we know that the Bible is the absolute truth. And people look down on that. They look at us and they say, oh, you poor things. You believe, the you take the Bible literally? You believe that this book contains the words of God? You know, you must not be very well educated. Uh, You know, you believe in fairy tales, and people look down on it. Jesus said they are in error because they don't know the scriptures or the power of God. The majority of children who are raised in the church, according to statistics, the majority of children, by the time they're out of high school and going into college, have fallen away. And it's not a small majority or a slight majority, it is a large majority of children just fall away from the truth. They don't know the Scriptures, and they haven't been taught to think. They haven't been taught to think in view of the truth of Scripture. Uh, they And then when they go to college, they, they are exposed to all the manifestations of the Bible isn't true. And they just fall into unbelief because they haven't been prepared. Adam and Eve were exposed to the word of God, and they were also exposed to the lie. You know, did they think about it? God desires people to believe what he says so they can live, and he also desires people to think so that they can live. It's estimated because in the original language of the Bible, there was no punctuation marks, but it's estimated that in the Bible, God asks over 4,000 times in the Bible, God asks a question. Jesus was always asking people questions. He, he could have just given them, given them the answer and just preached to them. But over and over and over again, he, would, he just asked them a question to get them thinking, to make them think. If a person knows and meditates on the scriptures and thinks, they won't be deceived. We need to pray for our young people, that they are exposed to the truth because they are going to be exposed to the lie and they need to be prepared. There is truth and error. Anything that does not include the cross of Christ is ultimately error, no matter how good it sounds, no matter how much truth is involved in it, Anything that does not include the cross of Christ is ultimately error. Uh, turn to uh, Colossians chapter two, verse six, please. Colossians two six. <clears throat> says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so that's the first thing, receiving Christ Jesus the Lord, being saved, being born again. Does Christ dwell in our hearts through faith? Are we saved? To believe in Jesus. Uh, last week we were talking about that in Sunday school we have a thing on the board that tells the kids what it means to believe in Jesus because they hear it so much. Believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. And they're like, what does that mean? It means believe who he is, the Son of God, the Christ. Believe what he says, the Bible. Believe what he has done. The sins of the world were put upon him, and the third day he rose from the dead. Believe that he has done it for you. We take it personally. That He died for the sins of the world, but he died for each one of us individually. Each one of our sins were put on him, and he became our sin. Believe that he will love you forever. Jesus said, abide in my love. And that love is unconditional. And now, because of all this, I want to obey him. Believe in him. So it says, so walk in him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. I don't think there's anything more important than knowing the love of God. What could be more important or more essential to our Christian lives? You know, I, I've heard people say that if you talk about the love of God all the time, you're kind of sugarcoating the gospel. There, there, there is nothing else except the love of God. There is absolutely nothing else. It is the foundation that we build our lives on. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In 1 Thessalonians 3.12, a very important scripture, it says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Isn't that what we hope and pray for? Uh, To stand before God blameless in holiness when he returns. To be able to stand before God blameless in holiness and not be ashamed. To stand before God at the end and not be ashamed. The Bible says, talks about walking worthy of God. We're, we're exhorted to walk worthy of God. You know, how do we walk worthy of God? But th- these are the things that we hope for and that we pray for. To be able to stand, have that confidence to stand before God in holiness and blamelessness and to walk worthy of God and not be ashamed. How does this happen in our lives? it's in that verse increase and abound in love to one another and to all if that is a reality in our life in our lives and that's what we're doing we will be able to stand before God in confidence blameless in holiness will we will be walking worthy of God if we are increasing and abounding in love to one another and to all and it says and to all you know we know that we're called to love our brothers and sisters in the church but we're also called to love the people outside the church love all in this age of such political and social and moral division our love can grow cold Paul said because of lawlessness the love of many will grow cold and there's so much division in the world so much strife so much argument. It's easy for our love to grow cold. Uh, Sometimes we feel that we can stand before God blameless if we have done enough. You know, if our behavior and work scales balance on the good side, then we feel that we can have confidence before God. But God said, no flesh shall glory in my sight. No flesh will glory in his sight. So what's the secret? How do we have confidence toward God now and when we stand before him in judgment? How can we stand before him blameless in holiness? How can we serve God acceptably now? How do we walk worthy of him? You know, how does this happen in our lives? Someone a long time ago wrote the secret, what the secret is. And I don't know who it was. I just found this quote. It says, to believe and to to consent to be loved while unworthy is the great secret. That's how it happens in our lives. We agree, we believe, and we consent to be loved while we are unworthy. And everything springs from that. That agape love from God flows through us to everyone, and God's purpose and desire are accomplished. Colossians 2.7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, you see, we need to be corrected. And Paul is correcting the Corinthians in no uncertain terms. We need to be challenged to walk the walk. Uh, to, to do what God wants us to do. We need to be challenged to do these things, but if we are not rooted and grounded in the unchanging, unconditional love of God, there will only be failure. Verse 18 says, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what God desires, that we are filled with all the fullness of God. And isn't this what we yearn for if the Spirit dwells in us? To be filled with the fullness of God. And the only way, according to the word of God, to be filled with the fullness of God is to know the love of Christ. So There's abounding in it with thanksgiving, always abounding, always growing, always receiving more from the Lord, always rejoicing, always rejoicing in the Lord. Like we spoke of last week, if you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, your name is written in the book of life and it's written with permanent marker and will not be erased. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit. You know, those who seem to be wise in this present age, as Paul was saying. You look on YouTube, and it's just crammed with all different philosophers, all Tons of talking heads, you know, all giving their philosophies. There are people, I know people who just, all they do is watch podcasts uh, of of philosophy and people talking. And it's a way of life for many young people, getting all this influence. Uh, And on YouTube and all these people that, you know, especially young people are hearing today, there are those who just say right outright that the Bible isn't true. And they are smart, they are educated, and they are eloquent. And then there are those whose philosophy we as Bible-believing Christians are in agreement with. You hear some podcasts, and I could mention names, and you, you would recognize them. We listen to them, and we hear them, and we agree. We say amen after they get done talking, because what they're saying coincides with the truth. But they're not Christians. Most of them leave out one thing, the cross. And we need to be aware that we're not being cheated out of knowing the truth and being made free. Verse 9, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know, think about that. In this man, in Jesus the Christ, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the ultimate, absolute truth. So who are we going to listen to? You know, may we not miss out on the glorious knowledge of God. Verse 10, it says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. We are complete in him. He has justified us. He has made us complete. We can stand before God. And now the journey begins to become complete, to grow. Paul said, let person who thinks he's wise become a fool that he may become wise. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Paul had one of the greatest minds in all history and yet he referred to himself as a fool for Christ. We have to be willing to be laughed at or persecuted for our belief in the truth. You know, in this country, you know, will persecution come? You know, I thank God that we have the freedom that we have now, that we're able to do this without fear. But many, many Christians throughout the world cannot do this without fear. They lock the doors, and they're, they have secret churches because of persecution. And that could happen in this country. The Bible says those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. It's more than possible that it could happen in this country because things can change very quickly. And it only takes a small group to change an entire nation. In Acts, Peter and John are dragged before the Sanhedrin and they warn them not to to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they say to them, who are we going to obey, you or God? And it says, when they called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You know, I read that and I think, man, what planet were these guys living on? They're persecuted, beaten, and they leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy to go through this for his name. I have never, I can't really, I cannot say that I've ever suffered persecution for my faith. I've been laughed at, you know, people say, you know, you believe in the Bible, you you believe those fairy tales, and they think I'm an idiot, but they thought that before anyways, and with good reason. Richard's nodding his head. Uh, You know, you take the Bible literally, are you nuts? It's fairy tales. And when this world laughs and mocks us and excludes us, marginalizes us, or actively tries to silence us, do we slink away in shame because the perishing world is laughing at us? Or do we rejoice that we've been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name? We don't go looking for trouble. You know, We don't go looking for persecution. But when it comes We stand by the grace of God. People wonder, you know, what if things get bad in this country and persecution starts? Would I be able to stand? Would I slink away in shame? Or would I be like Peter and John? Uh, The answer is yes. You will be like Peter and John because you will receive grace like never before. There is a word, the... The world will never admire Christianity. The world that says the Bible is not true will never admire Christianity. There have been many words throughout the generations that describe things that the world admires. Like neat. That's neat. Or spiffy. You don't hear spiffy too much anymore. Uh, But there's one word that has survived. Cool. That word is survive, like, for generations. That's cool. If people see something, if we see something we like, something we admire, we say that's cool. Christianity can never and will never be cool. It can't. Uh, For the same reason that a nuclear blast can never be a firecracker. It It just is not, can't be cool. And there are a lot of churches who are trying to be cool you know, hey, join us. We're, we're cool. Look at the stuff we got. We, we got the music. We got everything. We're cool. We're normal. You know, we're not weirdos. But the thing is, we are weirdos. Uh, in this world that says the Bible isn't true, we are weirdos. We live in a different kingdom. We're foreigners and pilgrims in this world. And to make Christianity cool or palatable to this world is like trying to turn the sun into a candle. It just can't happen. It won't happen. Why would anybody give up glory for vapor? It's like trying to get the same poles of a magnet to attract. Christianity will never be cool to this world. Uh, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Paul keeps bringing up this point over and over and over again in Corinth, that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God because they were carnal, and they were living by the wisdom of this world and not by the word of God. They were building on the foundation. They were saved, but they were building on the foundation with wood, hay, and stubble. And Paul warns them, he's telling them, don't be be carnal, be spiritual build on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. The wisdom, philosophy, uh, religions, worldviews that spring from the premise that the Bible is not true are not just foolish, they're insane. It is insane. Uh, it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He says, therefore, let no one boast in men. Why settle for less, Paul is saying. Why not receive everything that God has for you? Why not receive the fullness of God? You're settling for so much less. Because of your carnality, you're not growing. Be spiritual. Receive what the creator of the universe has for us. He says, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. We need to pray that we don't miss out on the fullness of God. Pray that God revives our hearts and that we would truly be those lights on a hill that cannot be hidden. So. Amen Father we come before you And uh, we just thank you Lord We pray that you would always Be speaking to our hearts We pray Lord that we would live in your love That uh, Lord we look at what you desire For us Love, joy and peace And we pray that we would possess These things that we would be lights To this world especially in these days Lord so Lord fill us draw us close to you, speak to us, and we just praise you, and we can never thank you enough, Lord, for your goodness toward us. But we do thank you, Lord, praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.